The following Dharma talk was given by Jody Hojin Kimmel at the Zen Center of New York City. Hojin Sensei is the abbot of the Zen Center and head priest at Zen Mountain Monastery. This talk, like all of our talks, is offered free of charge. If you would like to make a donation or find out more about our various programs, visit us online at zmm.org slash zcnyc. Thanks for listening. Good morning, everyone. Happy New Year. Um, so happy to see so many people here, really. Makes me a little teary. <laughs> so this week I was thinking about breath. The thing that we all share. And I wanted to start with a poem by Rumi. Only breath. You might know it. Only breath. Not Christian or Jew or Muslim, not Hindu, Buddhist, Sufi, or Zen, not any religion or cultural system. I am not from the East or the West, not out of the ocean or up from the ground, not natural or ethereal, not composed of elements at all. I do not exist, am not an entity in this world or in the next, did not descend from Adam and Eve or any origin story. My place is placeless, a trace of the traceless, neither body or soul. I belong to the beloved, have seen the two worlds as one, And that one call to and know, first, last, outer, inner, only that breath-breathing human being. So, I wanted to speak, if I can, (laughs) about this breath-breathing human being. Just all of us with this vital life source and karma in our minds. And to look at Buddha's very direct beginning teachings on breath, which is where the Buddha started, where from the breath we can find freedom, Calm, release from stress and suffering through the breath. And when I began practice of Buddhism, especially Zen, I encountered the word mind a lot. (laughs) So much talk around mind, the nature of mind. And perhaps here in the West, I don't know, as Westerners, I think we have a more unconscious movement um, towards elevating the mind over the body. Of course, in the teachings from the East or India, China, Japan, as this practice came to us through these many countries, there was more connection as the body and mind being inseparable 
that as long as we're alive, it's actually an inseparable whole. And that's what we find through zazen. We begin to find the unity. As we're sitting with our breath, we start to unify body and mind. But we know that takes a while. I hope, I mean, some of you may just be sitting down for your first time today. It will take a while. And we'll have to work through a lot of frustrations and things, but it begins to come into balance. You know, Dogen, Master Dogen, a Zen teacher, would repeatedly say, I keep hearing his line, body and mind are not separate in the Buddha Dharma. And so he called it one word, body-mind. Breath is body. So I really love these uh, beginning teachings in the uh, Pali Canon, the discourses of the Buddha. One is the Satipatthana Sutta, which I think everyone that's practicing, take a look at the Satipatthana Sutta. It's the foundations of mindfulness, of presence. He, Buddha taught four foundations of mindfulness. Body, feeling, mind, and phenomena. What are these, right? And then this one, which I love, which is the Anipanasati Sutta, which focuses on mindfulness of breathing, where Buddha says, I am aware I am taking a short breath. I am aware I'm taking, exhaling a short breath. I am aware I am taking a long breath. I am aware I am exhaling a long breath. And the focus of that and the power of that to calm us and set us and begin to see the nature of mind and body. And I've been working on retreats, developing that sutra into expression, into art expression. It's been a big part of my training is from my teachers, particularly on the potter's wheel, which a lot of the inside of the pot emerges from how I'm breathing into space. And I remember my teacher used to come around to all our noses and put, put his finger under our nose and say, you're not breathing. And as we're throwing, because, you know, like in Zazen too, we get very tight and like, you know, we have all this stuff to do, count, and, you know, sit still, and like, who's this next to me, and where am I? And so, you get on the potter's wheel, you've got this big thing sloshing around that you're trying to, like, center, like, center with gravity. It's so similar, getting centered with gravity, and, like, getting, like, the right pressures at the right time, going down and in. That's the first part. First, it's just wedging your ball, right? Getting it in alignment. That's kind of us sitting down, you know, getting the wedging, like getting the molecules aligned. That's what we're doing as we sit, as this pot, getting our molecules aligned and then trying to center, trying to have, and then, you know, work with the mind that keeps going, I want to be here, I want to be there, I want to do this, what about that, this is uncomfortable, I got an itch, all of that. And just like focusing on the breath, focusing on the breath. So he would come around and say, I don't feel anything. <laughs> so the more, you know, I could see as, as I, it developed, I would be 
I could feel like my breath actually making the shape. And same with painting and, and how to, uh, how I was breathing in painting, what I was feeling in, in these aspects of body, mind, feeling, phenomena, and then my breath in connection with that. So, um, so the sutras bring Buddha's very direct beginning teachings on the breath, right? And how we can find freedom, calm, and release. Rumi says, I am not from the east or the west, not out of the ocean or up from the ground, not natural or ethereal, not composed of elements at all. I do not exist. I am not an entity in this world or the next. It's kind of like the Heart Sutra, bringing us back to no, not, unknown, right? And over the years, I've found, um, over the many years of sitting, I find that the body is the key to a deep, stable, joyful zazen practice. And I know there's, I've had a lot of um, difficulty with the body, with body image, with things that have happened to my body. So there's a lot to go through to get sometimes to the body. It's not so easy, our own body. And I found, uh, I, in the beginning, I was a very faith-based sitter. I really trusted the breath entering the body, like being able to surrender in that moment of inhale and exhale to that. You know, we all sit down and it's like, okay, I'm going to meditate and I want bliss. I'm going to just sit. I want to be just in an ocean of bliss, and we find we're the eye of a storm. <laughs> it's like, wait a minute, um, this is not meditation. Like, all our stuff is, like, swirling around, and yet this breath holds that all of that can come, and we see that it's moving, unfixed, uncertain. We learn that through the breath, and we see what tethers us, and we can release it. Sometimes we get involved with it, and then we realize, oh my gosh, where have I been for a few minutes? And then that keeps coming back and focusing us. So our lives, as we, if we keep practicing, begin to settle down more and more. I think breath is a very direct teaching, not on taming, but trust, really trusting. I really how to trust sustaining our attention, being where the mind can fully control, and we can find refuge in the body's immediate, present, sensory field. What a relief to the mind when the mind has something to release its grip, relieve its grip on. And then the body follows. When the mind can relax its grip because it has something, the body will also release its grip, and they start to work together. 
Sometimes our mind is stirred and our body's calm. Sometimes our body's shook up and our mind is calm. And so we keep, it's like that, that push and pull, you know, those right pressures in the right places at the right time to open. And we keep opening that vessel. The whole process has a very unknown quality. So I just want to encourage you to throw away the measuring sticks that we pull out on everything. Good sit, bad sit. Oh, I sat down and my mind was so busy. That wasn't a good sit. Yes, you saw that? Good sit. Always, always. So, so there's a mysterious part of this process, because we are. I mean, go figure. What is this? Um, how can we like box it in anywhere? So let yourself be, right? And I love poetry, and with which I wise I pick Rumi and those of you that are poets, because that's a language of body. It's a language of the body. Good poetry always gets you, the words fall away. And it always gets underneath the thinking mind, underneath the skin, into the nervous system, to the deeper recesses of our subconscious experience, to the sensual, towards feeling, being, which draws us right to the present moment. Poetry, painting, these are part of the Zen tradition for that very reason. Teachers used them. The poets and priests were the ones that entered the monasteries early on because they were holding this question of, what is this? Who am I? What is this? It was the artists that were seeking. Same with Daido Roshi when he started the monastery. It was all the artists that were coming, seeking, mostly, It's a very direct teaching on the nature of things. And Zazen was always at the heart of it as that direct pointing outside words and letters, direct pointing to the human mind and the realization of Buddhahood. Those are Bodhidharma's words. So poets, artists, we need you. We need you to keep going. You're the healers, the shamans in the society, in the culture, the new forms, the new visions, the new imaginations, the new structures. So keep going. So we're all here by choice this morning. I don't know why you chose to come here. You might be going, why did I choose to come here? But we come by choice. We move into zazen by choice. The breath, turning to the breath, is moving into this not known, which you've chosen to do. My teacher used to, Daido Roshi used to say that this may be one of the hardest things we ever do. And he also said that 
the breath, just being with the breath, will take us to the depths we need to go to. If we can really do that, just keep being with our breath, that will take us to the depths we need to go to, if we can trust that really completely. So we're moving, in a sense, by choice into uncertainty, which is true. (laughs) I think we'd all agree things are uncertain. We don't like it, maybe. The experience of not clear about the road ahead, no dependable map, no result, returning to the experience of not known over and over as we see, acknowledge, let go, back into the unknown breath. Running away from what's Instead of running away from it into the familiar, we go back into the unknown. But we see how much the familiar draws us, the familiar thoughts, the familiar things. My place is placeless, a trace of the traceless. That's that experience of the not known. The experience of not mind, not thought, not a thing. And that circles right back to what the Buddha was teaching on Vulture Peak, the Heart Sutra, the experience of which we chanted this morning. And I know it was your first. No eye, ear, nose, tongue, body, mind, no color. I think there's 29 no's (laughs) in the sutra, which is yes, 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 that's it. So the breath is uncertainty. And we, we, when we experience it so directly, we see it's moving. It's not fixed. It's always rising and falling, always changing. The breath is not anything, and yet it's our one constant. It's the first thing we do when we're born, and the last thing we do when we die. It's our one constant in between. And breath can only be breathed one moment at a time. Amazing. So good for practice. Can only be breathed one moment at a time. We can't breathe two breaths at a time. It's one at a time. The breath is so simple. So simple. And the breath can only be breathed Now, now, now. So you see, you go to your breath, you're now. Not in the past, not in the future. There's times to think about that, for sure. And we do that. But what about when we're just in samsara, just taken? Breath, it's the sword of Manjushri, of wisdom, back to the breath, to now. Then we can look. The breath can only be breathed here, never there. That always reminded me of um, Postcards from the Edge. I don't know if you saw that movie. It's old with Shirley MacLaine. And she says, she writes in a postcard, having a wonderful time. I wish I was here. (laughs) 
And I remember my mom early on asking me about practice, which I was terrified to tell her anything. But she says, what do you do there just sitting there still? I said, I'm breathing. I'm like trying to be with my breath. And she said, it's about time. I was shocked. It's like, what does she know? (laughs) She's not practicing. So we see how now and the breath aren't fixed. They move. They move all the time. Yet they're constant and dependable. As, you know, we can depend on getting the next breath if everything's going okay, obviously. That the system's working. So we don't have to think, oh, I have to get to the next breath. It's here. Just like what just happened. And we can always depend on it being here now because there's only now. That's all. So to sum up the courage and the stamina and the discipline to persevere and stay, we learn to stay and we learn to trust. We learn how to stay and trust. Uh, Tenfu showed me a picture of the moon and I was like, that moon, moons always teach me how to stay. They just stay. And it was this moon just staying and moving slowly, right? Uncertainty is movement. Uncertainty is necessary. It's the movement of life. The movement of life is certain and constant and dependable. And it's not really life. It's just movement. There isn't really a life. It's just movement of life. So we begin beginning instruction with attention to the breath, to an object of focus through counting. And then there's also open awareness. That's another way of practicing. No object of focus. But we start with an object of focus, the breath. And that needs to take place within this form this architecture of body. And there's a technology that's been passed on of how to best enter the body with breath so it can move freely through our being. So when we encourage you to take a position that's comfortable, where you feel stable, do do that. Like, don't let your ego get in there like you got to sit like some pretzel and be twisted up to, like, practice. No, sit where you can really sit and let go and enter. And, and you, you know, we're all going to have pain in whatever position we're in. So minimize it, the minim, most minimal, right? So you don't have to constantly be working on that, but there's moments you can let go. Pain, a little pain can deepen our practice for sure. So we enter, this is our temple. I know you've come here, but this is our temple. Everyone walk is a walking temple. And we have to keep remembering how to enter our temple, especially when things come up externally or internally. So when we direct our attention to one object for a while, something really surprising happens. Our mind settles down, our emotions stabilize, 
and we can experience calm. Yeah. And you might have seen this today as your first time that that happened. So let's look at what Buddha offered in the midst of this entering into this temple we call me. So we're going to sit for 35 minutes or 30 minutes or for an hour, say that's what you're going to do. How do we stay with the breath and amount of time? How do we main our concentration on the breath? Work with it, explore it as we sit in zazen. And the Buddha spoke of four qualities that we want to bring into the process of staying with the breath. And this is what I will now elucidate for you, with you. So these four qualities in the sut- this sutra he speaks of, Satipatthana, ardency, alertness, which is clear knowing, mindfulness, and concentration. So these are four qualities we can bring up. We have it. So mindfulness. Of course, that's a big buzzword now. (laughs) It's everywhere, even on cereal. I saw it on a cereal box. (laughs) We know it's on tea bag tags. and, And actually, there's a perfume called Sense of Mindfulness. So what do you want today? <laughs> I'll take anything <laughs> to remember. Essentially, that's what mindfulness means from what the Buddha said. Remembering the ability to keep something in mind. And there's a difference between zazen, using zen, like how we use our mind, live our life, and do that with others and mindfulness, which in Sanskrit is smirti in the tradition. So originally, Buddhism was an oral tradition. So smirti related to remembering, remembering what was said. That was the kind of remembering or mindfulness. So we can remember the teachings. It wasn't written down. And when Buddha came along in 500 BCE, he used smirti a little different. And I was looking at this. He described it as an innate faculty to pay attention. The ability to stay mindful of the present moment in a sustained way, not based on words, scriptures, or ideas. So it wasn't to remember anything, but just to be present. Remembering to stay focused and not distracted while breathing that we're remembering to tell ourselves we're going to stay with the breath no matter what. And as I said, this isn't presto changeo. You know, it's not my teacher, one teacher used to say, we can't have a McDonald's mentality when we enter (laughs) practice. We don't just pull up to the window, make our order, and drive away with our food. No, we have to chew it, digest it, swallow it, see if we're where the nutrition is, let it work on us, keep adjusting, right? And of course, there's many, so as I said, it will take time to develop. Yeah. 
So there's many kinds of attention, and not all of it which are mindful. There's scattered attention, restless and distracted. There's vigilance, which is the kind of attention that's always on guard against distraction. There's a panoramic attention where we can feel everything very open and wide and diffuse. Some of us have that kind of attention. I remember when I was getting glasses, the, um, the, optomi- the doctor was also um, an analyst, like a uh, financial analyst. So his vision is like, like this. And he said, God, your vision is gigantic. I said, what do you mean? He says, are you the type of person that if somebody says, like, you walk into a party, it's in a big room, can you find um, um, Joshin? And, and I have that kind of vision that'll go like, there's Joshin. You know, out, and some of us can't, that's hard for us. We're much more narrow. So it's hard for me to stay in a book so some of us can really focus on reading. For me, that's I've had to really practice staying inside of a book. You know, I had to work with methods because I just I just go very big. That was interesting to learn. And then there's the body, the soma, the somatic attention. What's happening in the body? And I've been reading this book um, by Lama Willa Baker. It's her her new book called Wakeful Body. And she writes, The body, as many psychologists and neurophysicists now believe, is absolutely capable of remembering. The body registers and stores our joys, sorrows, traumas, ease, and insight, and is capable of attention, even mindfulness. I think the Buddha said that. 2,500 years ago, but physicists and psychologists are just catching up. Um, But the Buddha really held smirti, that attention, that mindfulness, as the key to living a mindful life. So there's other qualities to cultivate mindfulness of breath, which is this alertness or clearly knowing. So it's actually watching what's happening while staying with the breath. So you're breathing, but you're also seeing what's happening. Being as sensitive as possible to how the breath feels as it enters the body and as it moves through and exits, right? So this is alertness, clearly knowing, noticing when the mind wanders off. And this happens after time. I know when I first sat down and I thought I was pretty alert, I was like, it was a circus in this ring, in this ring. I was like, wow. And it would just go so fast, right? Off to this, grab onto that. And then as I got settled, I was able to actually almost feel that was going to happen. I could sense the mind was looking for a wander. So this begins to develop. And then we release that. So you don't have to get mad. Why do we get mad? Just because we lost 
touch there for a moment. Like, then we see it. That's so good to come back, right? Come back to one, two, three, just in the beginning for a while. You practice that way. Helps with that clear focus, that clear knowing of what's going on to a feeling or sensation. Sometimes we feel the breath of the nostrils. And when we feel a strong emotion, to remember that's part of the path. It's not to, there's nothing to get rid of. Just some strong sensation has arisen in our mind. It's God causes and conditions behind it that we can begin to become more familiar with. So we learn how to stay, but we become aware. And we see that that's still training. We're still trusting. We're trusting, learning trusting in that process. And we should never underestimate the power of compassionately recognizing what's going on. Now, a lot of us, I know I wasn't in the beginning very compassionate with what was going on. (laughs) So that's something we have to work with. We're mean to ourselves. You know, that's deeply embedded. So if we want to stop the wars, we got to stop the war. Stop fighting. Why do we do this? Well, it's deep in there. Just know it's so. You know a lot about it, I'm sure. So if we find we strayed away from the breath, alertness is functioning. Clear knowing is functioning. There it is. It's like um, how iron goes to a magnet. So it might scatter and there's all these little flecks and pieces, but the body and the breath is like a magnet. It all just goes right back to it when we bring our attention there. Ardency is another quality that will help. It's the wisdom or the discernment factor. It's the long, enduring mind, what sustains and nourishes us all the way through the many ups and downs, this ardency. So as we settle down and calm the body, release, keep releasing the thinking mind, we begin seeing causes and effects Not simply just noting, but we see and experience directly what's happening and how things are connected. And we, re- we can remember seeing how things are connected. And then we can begin to handle them skillfully. That's ardency. We need that ardency for this practice. Long, enduring, discerning mind. The Buddha said the main basis of success in practice is practicing these qualities to maintain our concentration. So concentration, oh boy, concentration. You know, it's not rigid. Like some of us concentrate like, like I, 
it's, I would do it. I would just feel myself so contracted. And so as you're learning to concentrate, remember that you're breathing and you can still be focused. It doesn't have to be squeezed or forced. It shouldn't be forced. I mean, sometimes we have to be firmer and more, more clear about what we're doing, but it's not forced or tight. That'll just create more tension, more thoughts. So just keep that in mind. Buddha said, as is often repeated, test my teachings. Whatever I tell you, test it against your own experience. So this approach with ardency is wisdom of seeing the process happening is going to make a huge difference into the process of fabrications, Buddha said, that we'll see bodily fabrications, our internal conversations, which are verbal fabrications, our reactions, feelings of pleasure, pain, neither pleasure nor pain, our perceptions of things, how we label this. We'll see the mental fabrications. He says, bringing all these processes together in the breath is a skillful way how we actually will be developing insight, wisdom, and discernment. I remember the shock, as I said, of seeing my mind was like this committee going on in my head. I must say a more patriarchal committee. Um, And I would feel frustrated And I would tell myself to do one thing, and all of a sudden I'm doing something else, and I'd get upset about that, really frustrated. But you will get angry, just don't give up. You will get frustrated, don't give up. That's what happens, that's what we have to undo. And remember, there's many yous, many selves, many voices in our mind, and all of them have various desires. all these various selves that we've developed around those desires in the past, we play out. And who's the starring role? (laughs) You got it. (laughs) So why would we want to make up our mind to do this? That really helps. If you can make contact, why do you want to sit down and turn towards yourself, towards uncertainty, towards not knowing? That will really help you to focus. And not that it's like something you've been told, but you don't know, but you're an explorer right now. You want to find out. And this has gone on for thousands of years, so maybe there's something about it. Maybe. Maybe the members of the committee, the new ones, we have to strengthen them to learn what this is about. So finding the qualities of mind friendly to the process of zazen, so that the friendly members of the committee, the members who recognize this would be a good thing, are brought on board.
you know, I was, I, we have two cats here, Tropy and Liza. <laughs> and I was thinking of how working with ourselves is like trying to herd cats. You ever try and herd cats? <laughs> Forget about it. Or, or you can just use a can opener. Just like crack a can, that, that kind of works. So even though it's frustrating, we can desire the qualities of remembering, alertness, ardency, and concentration. And we can practice this. We can clearly see and directly where it counts. And to keep healing our own acceptance of our breath, of, of our breath, of our intake of the world coming into our body and exhaling. Let it, that breath touch our wounds, caress them, be a soothing balm. Give that to ourself. Not give ourselves fear, because if we don't give ourselves fear, we won't give others fear. That's a great gift. If we can give ourselves presence, that's like one of the greatest things we can give to anyone a partner, ourselves, a baby, someone who's hurting, someone who's dying. Just presence, complete presence, just being there. It feels so good. Have you had someone just be present with you? Yeah. It's very powerful. Not even a word is said. Art gives that. Poems give that presence. An image can give that presence and that reflection of who we are. How does the breath enter this body with care and wisdom? By locating, remembering, nourishing our innate qualities. And then it's so alive. It's our messiness, our (laughs) awkwardness, just brings us alive. It's, it's, it's being human. It's this humanness. It is our breath. It is how we breathe with each other. It's uncertain and it's unpredictable and that can be comforting, actually. So, back to Rumi. Actually, I'll, I'll read, I have one more poem. I wasn't planning on reading it, but just another person's poem on breath. It's more literal, but she says, it's called Go In and In, Dana Falls. Settle in the here and now. Reach down into the center where the world is not spinning and drink this holy place. Feel a relief flood into every cell. Nothing to do. Nothing to be but what you are already. Nothing to receive but what flows effortlessly from the mystery into form. 
nothing to run from or run toward. Just this breath. Awareness knowing itself as embodiment. Just this breath. Awareness waking up what is true. Only breath. Not Christian or Jew or Muslim. Not Hindu, Buddhist, Sufi or Zen. Not any religion or cultural system. I am not from the East or the West. Not out of the ocean or up from the ground. Not natural or ethereal. Not composed of elements at all. I do not exist and am not an entity in this world or in the next. Did not descend from Adam and Eve or any origin story. My place is placeless, a trace of the traceless, neither body or soul. I belong to the beloved. We belong to the beloved. Having seen the two worlds as one, and that one call to and no first, last, outer, inner, only that breath breathing human being. Thank you for listening. To find out more about the Zen Center of New York City's programs, retreats and residency, please visit our website at zmm.org slash zcnyc.